Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 224 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian and Angelo. Double Density is your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, I'm just kind of curious. Like, what is the most you pay in a subscription fee for a service that you use per month? I'm kind of curious. I know we're not counting utilities here, right? Like cell phone. No, no, I'm talking about like, like, no, I'm talking like, like all of your streaming services, you know, whatever other um, kind of service you use for entertainment purposes. Well, I guess technically it would be Apple One Premium, but that encompasses seven different services. So that's kind of an unfair comparison, right? Because with that, I get uh, ter- two terabytes of iCloud and Apple Music Family and Apple TV and Apple Fitness and all that stuff. So I don't think that counts. So in terms of, I would say it's Crave, which is Canada's HBO. Okay. And that's like 22 bucks tax included. Okay, because I'm asking you because, uh, you know, there's... The fun ecosystem of Twitter right now that exists is existing in there out there. Elon just wilding out right now. And one of the things, Angelo, is that if you want to apply for one of those gold check marks that organizations get, it's a thousand bucks up front. And uh, the thousand bucks is not refundable, Angelo. So you can apply for a gold check mark and uh, not get one. And they keep your money. It's a non refundable application fee, like we have uh, at the university. You used to work there. You know that, how that is. People would complain when they'd get refused and want their money back. But it, it doesn't really cost $1,000 to verify whether someone's part of an organization or not. Well, that's what I was getting to. Uh, the, the $100 you pay like a, to, to a university for, their, for an application fee, you're kind of paying for the work to be done to get the stuff reviewed for $1,000 to know if, like, uh, Purina Cat Food is uh, <laughs> is a real company. I mean, don't they just Google it? They definitely could do that within a you know five minute span, and usually you can get like a customer service rep to sort of uh, yay or nay that. Right? It's not uh, you don't get a table full of executives saying whether or not uh, someone is going to to do that. Kind of interesting. I don't know. Uh, Twitter is ecos. Yeah, I don't know if you pay attention at all, but like there's the whole blue checkmark uh, controversy right now. So apparently, if you are a profile with more than a million, you automatically get the blue checkmarks. A lot of people were like. I'm actively saying, hey, I didn't buy Twitter Blue. They just gave this to me, which I thought is hilarious that the product is so bad that your personalities on the platform have to distance themselves from whoever's running it by saying, I'm not giving you money actively. This is extremely weird. Uh, most famously, of course, right now is Stephen King, who uh, Elon gifted a blue check mark to. Well, and he was one of the early people to criticize Elon Musk about this whole blue uh, check mark fiasco. Going back to the $1,000 fee for the gold one, I wonder if that's sort of like some gatekeeping and keeping people out of applying and wasting applications and time to review those, maybe? Yeah, but you can automate those systems, too. It's not that hard. I guess. I think it's just a way for Elon to actually make some money from Twitter. I was going to say, the ads are creating the actual like Twitter blue um, checkmark scheme is... Not going as intended. I think there's something like 20,000 people pay for it, right? So it's not going to generate a ton of revenue. I'm just enjoying the fact that like this is cratering so hard. Who knows where the internet's going to go from here um, with Twitter kind of like breaking up and uh, falling apart, much like the recent SpaceX. That's kind of sad. Luckily, nobody was on it. Yeah, but we'll talk about that later. Um, you and I have had very different weeks. So I want to get into what you did, and then I want to talk about something that I did over the weekend. I didn't do anything too extravagant, actually. I've kind of, after we talked about it, and I think this was months and months ago where it was, I think, I guess it was after you had bought your guitar, I had said how I'm not a guitar pedal person, 
And you were kind of shocked. You thought I would be, right? You're a bells and whistles guy. Let's be honest. Like you're not you're you're not uh, like a bare bones kind of guy. You're not the Ramones of guitar playing here. You're the I don't know the chromatic scale shredder wannabe. But I'm not good at it. Not yet. And but you this were is surprised. kind of a recurring theme in that you tend to go really hard on like one hobby. Right for the longest time it was magic. Now you shifted things over to. Uh, wanting to become a competent or super competent guitar player. Yeah, the magic is in like main, maintenance mode, right? Like I, I still kind of, you know, I have a deck of cards around and I kind of still I don't know if you can see it, this ladies and gentlemen, but he is pulling a quarter out of his ear to show me out of nowhere. I don't know where the quarter came from. I don't know if you can see this, gentlemen and ladies, but Brian is lying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but all that being said, you yeah, the, the, filled yeah, down a rabbit hole into, of guitar pedals and effects. Yeah, exactly. So, like you said, I go in hard on things, right? I fell down the rabbit hole of magic. I, I, I kind of learned. I, I learned what I wanted to learn, and I'm maintaining it. I'm still making children happy and grown-ups happy when they, they're around me, and I'm doing magic tricks for them. But That's a really yeah, weird guitar, statement to make, but continue. Guitar pedals, though, I knew nothing really about them. I think I was intimidated when I was heavy into guitar because I was in my 20s, and it all seemed so expensive. Like, even just trying to figure out the power supply of how to... Like, I'm not going to buy nine volt batteries. <laughs> I've I've actually watched friends build uh, guitar pedal boards. It's a lot of fun to watch. Well, so that's what I've been doing. I've been watching a lot of this stuff, and it's both complicated, but also not so complicated. At the end of the day, once you kind of figure things out, and I figured out that it would almost be a waste for me not to buy like a decent power supply. So I've been looking at that stuff, and so that's, here's the, but this is the confusing part, right? So you bought an amp. With a certain number set of presets already. Yeah, exactly. So I wouldn't have to buy like delay pedals. That's already on this amp. I, I would probably start, well, okay, the obvious pedal I'd want would be a tuner pedal. Oh, there you go. Boss Metal Zone, my favorite no, guitar I have, pedal. Well, that's also. the thing. I don't need that, right? Because I have that in this Boss Katana amp, right? Like that's actually there. It, I, I understand that it's fun having the analog pedal to futz around with the buttons. So I would probably buy like an overdrive pedal and maybe a compressor because the compressor is not the best. And you know how I feel about compression. I was going to say you're pro compressor, right? So Very much so. But yeah, I wouldn't need a lot of different pedals. And, and, and maybe I will, maybe I won't. I'm kind of looking into it. It's intriguing. I'll, I'll say that much. Definitely intriguing. There is one pedal that really interests me. It's, a, it's, it's like not super expensive because... I didn't know if you know this, Brian, but pedals for guitars are very expensive. I do know that. Well, especially if you go for a shop that doesn't mass produce them, right? Yeah. One of the ones I'm kind of interested in is a, a Paul Gilbert special pedal. And it's in like the $250 Canadian range. So that's actually not that bad for it's not a guitar crazy. pedal. No. It's not crazy, no. And it does a lot more than just like a regular overdrive distortion pedal so it seems interesting to me i may or may not get one right now i'm still on the fence a tuner pedal would be very nice to have as would compression but i'd probably start with the uh distortion pedal and maybe just a tuner pedal on the side right so paul gilbert mr mr big mr racer x um fun guy to watch really great interview if you uh, hit up on youtube you can find uh, any number of interviews with him that are actually super enjoyable he seems like one of the nicest rock stars out there and he's not like super big either, so like no 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 pun intended in terms of the name of his band. He's uh, he's a lot of fun to watch too. So uh, 
Maybe we can get him on the podcast. Think he I'm knows anything t- about paranormal? You know, I tried to tweet at uh, I tweeted at Girl Talk last week. Greg Gillis, nothing. So nothing. I'm just going to continue going. Um, speaking about tweeting and things like that, Angelo, uh, uh, that was a horrible segue. That has nothing to do with what I want to talk about next. So that is okay. Um, it is our sixth anniversary, pretty much here uh, on Double Density. We started April 2017, um, and I like to bring this up every year. You were super quiet on our first episode. I was super mechanical, and uh, I think we've grown as podcasters since then. I hope so, at least. Yeah, we've had quite a few more new listeners come into the show. I wonder how many have gone back and listened to, let's say, the first five to ten episodes. I would hate if people did that. They can, and if they do, they can fill out the form and tell us all about it, Brian. Where can they find the form, Angelo? DoubleDensity.net. All right, I'll let you. That is form counter number one for this episode. Unlike you, Angelo, I went outside recently. You did? Yep. What did you do? I went to a Shrek rave, Angelo, and this is a real event in a real club that I frequented last night, and I am tired. Did you have a Shrek pacifier? I did not, no. I had knitted Shrek ears as well as a Shrek shirt. Um, so, yeah, so this is a – I don't want to say it's a touring company, but it's, it's a company that runs Shrek raves across the continental – um, United States, Canada. I'm not quite sure if they do Mexico or not, but basically what it is, it's a bunch of DJs that play uh, a mixture of like really good solid sets and some meme songs too, but all together, super enjoyable. It was, uh, I was definitely an outlier. You know, I'm in my mid thirties. I, uh, the age there was a little younger than I, uh, most, almost everybody was dressed up though. So that was super cool to see. It was different. We left around one ish and my bones are still feeling it. Cause I ended up dancing for like four hours. You went alone? Or you went with, who? I went with my wife and our friend Rebecca, and uh, we all had a great time. It was fun to people watch, and I even got propositioned in the bathroom, Angelo. Wonderful. A, and you still uh, got a, it. A, yeah, exactly. A gentleman um, who, based on the minimal conversation he tried to have with me afterwards, it was definitely on a mind-altering substance. He pointed at me, at himself, and a toilet stall. So that it kind of an unambiguous there. Sounds like something that would happen on a TV show. Almost, yeah. And then there was another woman who was giving me the stink eye or the cutie eye. We're not quite sure which, but she was definitely fixated on staring me down. Did you point to your wedding ring? I did not, no. And like, I, I was like next to Steph all night. So it wasn't like I was like being shady and alone and ignoring people. Like I literally was with my wife and our friend all night. So it was, it was very strange. And then she left at the same time we did. Like literally we were both at Kojak at the same time. Huh. Sounds like fun. Were your ears ringing after? No, actually, surprisingly enough, like it was super loud, but my ears weren't ringing. Oh, it means your tinnitus has gone so far that it doesn't even affect you anymore. That's fine with me. Angela, let us talk about the gr- one of the great joys of running a podcast is hearing from our listeners, right, Angela? Especially when they want to send story ideas our way. So we have a couple this week. So the first one is via Twitter. So Steph from New Jersey sent me a link to a New York Times article all about a special container with... Uh, about 20 million Canadian, which is like almost like 15 mil US in gold, was uh, stolen from Pearson Airport in Toronto. And uh, who knows where it ended up. So Steph says, hey, guys, this question is for Angelo. Would the Apple luggage tag have been useful in the situation? I hear good things. Angelo, the floor is yours. I don't have any Apple Air tags yet. Yet. I Well, because we haven't really gone on a trip where our luggage would go on an airplane since the air tags released, right? They funny enough, they released just as the pandemic started when people stopped moving and leaving their homes. And my sister got some 
a year and a half ago when they went on our first trip uh, back out into the world and they placed them. So she's married and one tag was on her in her husband's luggage. One was in hers. And as they were leaving, and this also, it t- from they left from Toronto at this point. So they landed in Toronto, connecting flight back to Montreal. And uh, as they were flying, they saw that one of their luggages was still in Toronto and one was on the plane with them. But then once they landed in Montreal, both luggages were there. So it's not super accurate all the time. The way AirTags work is that they kind of bounce to other iOS devices around them, and they use that to kind of find their locations. And I guess this one piece of luggage, before it got put into the air, stopped connecting to anything and didn't actually manage to find a connection to something that would let them know that their luggage was with them. You know what I mean? There was like, so like it got put onto the plane, I guess anybody right. with pinging, an iPhone around. Yeah, back. yeah, exactly. So, right. Uh, so that, my next question to you then, Angela, is if you had to perform an Ocean's Eleven like caper to get that 20 million gold and avoid things like air tags, how would you go about that? My friends, I want you to put on your sneaky, sneaky man hat. It's really hard to avoid because there are so many iOS devices out there now. First thing to do, for me personally, would be to have to switch to Android because then I would be one iOS device less that would be able to ping these things. And then the next step is try to get the, away from a uh, big population <laughs> so as soon as possible, right? So they would stop pinging people. So, Angela, I don't know if you know this, there is an added benefit to using an Android device. Um, there are apps on there, including Tracker Detect, which will show you the location of AirTags, my friend. So if you decided to go that route, the Android route, you could use this to kind of discover if there's anything um, strange um, in this cargo huh. in order to steal it. There's some sneaky stuff on Android, right? Because they can sideload things. Well, that doesn't seem like a legit Apple's app that would be in finally the... finally going to allow sideloading is, is the rumor, right? That's the rumor, yeah. We're going to find out in a few weeks at uh, WWDC. I'm curious to know how they're going to spin that given that you know, a major part of their profit model is the money that they make from app purchases and like in subscriptions. That was a great question from Steph in New Jersey. When I saw the question, I thought it was your wife, Steph, asking a question uh, while she was in New Jersey. No, I, I would have told you where she in Jersey. No, she is where she we a are. Shrek rave. So exactly. There we go. Angela, it's time once again for Nick's Corner. And I feel like maybe we should come up with some kind of music here. So I'm going to let you decide what music is for this segment. Nick says, hi, Brian and Angelo. After listening to episode 222, I put together a short playlist for Angelo. I think Iron Maiden is at their best when they're topical and melodic, not when they're trying to project anger. I added two Maiden tracks, Power Slave and Wasted Years, which I feel exemplify the songs I'm talking about. Now, Angelo, great minds think alike. Uh, about a week and change ago, I made you a playlist of like 10 or 11 Iron Maiden tracks. And what did you say when you listened to that playlist? I said there were actually quite, the music is quite joyful and melodic. It's not... It felt like they were playing a lot in major keys and not minor and not scary. Some of the lyrics were kind of like sort of, I guess, trying to be evil, but in a happy way. <laughs> but yeah, it was funny to like hear you in real time or or see your text in real time arrive. And I because I knew I knew if you sat down and spent a little bit of time with our meeting, you'd be like, oh, this is actually anthemic and enjoyable. And it's a lot more fun to watch live. Yeah, it really is great. I don't know why I never really got into it. Like listening to Malmsteen stuff, his stuff is like darker and scarier than, you know what I mean? It's yeah. less, it's more in minor keys. Still a lot of fun. 
not and that's not everybody's cup of tea, right? Like that shredding, crazy. And I'm not always in the mood for it either. You know, it depends what you're in the mood for. But the uh, driving in the car yesterday, we we're going somewhere, and uh, a newer Metallica song came on, and we had the radio going, and my wife turned it off. She's like, "I can't deal with this. This is too much." So she did not like it. <laughs> what kind of music gets played in the household? My son listens to a lot of video game music. He listens to like metal versions of Metroid music often, and then sometimes Zelda music or whatever game he's playing. He like lucky enough with Apple Music, a lot of the games that are newer. The soundtracks are all readily available yep. on Apple Music. Uh, my daughter listens to a lot of Taylor Swift. I try to get her to listen to other stuff. In the car, though, when we, I'm driving to ballet and stuff, I think we talked about this. We played like, the classic rock station, and now uh, music from my youth is old enough that it's considered classic rock. So she tries to make me guess what's playing on the radio. And I, every once in a while, she'll say, can you guess this song? And it's like a super popular song. Like, for example... You too, where the streets have no name. Oh, yes, you mentioned song. that last time. You mentioned yeah. that last time, yeah. And it's it's kind of funny that obviously I'll know what that song is. One of the most popular songs of all time. Pearl Jam, Jeremy. Do you know what that is? Yeah, exactly. Um, so from, just from the Nick opening know, note, exactly. Yeah. So just let Nick know this. You know the Spotify. So what we did is kind of interesting. I sent you a Spotify playlist, and you turn that into an Apple Music playlist on your end, right? So exactly. Uh, Aces High, The Trooper, Run to the Hills, Wrathchild, Wasted Years, which we both had on there, and Number of the Beast, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, Transylvania. Can I play with Madness? Which you texted me uh, the hidden ICP connection here. Can I play with Magnets? Definitely sounds <laughs> like that. Uh, Two Minutes to Midnight and Fear of the Dark. Nick goes on to say, as far as hip-hop goes, I think Angela would find the depth and intelligence of underground artists more relatable. I added my favorite song by Doom, two great tracks by Aesop Rock, and one baleful, incisive song by Say Rock. All three artists on the Rhyme Sayers record label. I hope you both enjoy the playlist. I love getting stuff like this. Playlists are great. It's like uh, Nick sent us his own little mixtape to us. Yeah, R.I.P. MF Doom. Angela has no idea what I'm talking about, but that is fine. <sighs> we'll live somehow. Um, Doom Eternal just came out on PlayStation Plus this That's week. exactly not what we're talking about, but that's okay. Oh, Rhyme Sabers, the label started by Slug of Atmosphere. You have no idea what these words mean, but that is... None, not okay. at all. Would you give this a shot at all? Maybe, maybe. I'll, I'll take a look tomorrow. I'll put on some music while I work. Perfect. I'll also send you a couple more Rhyme Sabers stuff. I've been a huge fan of the artist known as POS and the Doom Tree Collective, which I think you actually may enjoy because uh, they have a woman on there who raps and also sings. Her name is Dessa. I've seen her live. Super enjoyable. More up your alley, I think. POS, does that stand for, stand for point of sale? <laughs> no. Uh, uh, pissed off Steph because the guy's first name is, is Stefan or Steven. Okay. Anyways, Nick says, my question this week is about tech and tabletop gaming. Our family are avid board gamers, and we are currently a dozen snares deep into a Gloomhaven campaign together. While we are aware of the computerized version of the game, we chose to play the tabletop version for the tactile experience and to keep us off our devices for a few hours on a Saturday. There is a catch, however, because the game requires so much bookkeeping, health points for players and monsters, accrued experience points, attack modifiers, card draws, etc., that we are essentially forced to use a third-party helper app on our tablet to keep track of the details and streamline the experience. Should publishers of complicated board games simply partner with mobile app developers from the very start, ensuring that players have tools to enhance their experience? Or are we all getting lazy and risking a drift into game board extinction by offloading more and more of the basic functions of tabletop gaming to technology? Thanks, Nick in Colorado. Angelo, I, we tried to play board games without an app. It did not work well last fall. That is okay, right? You came over. We set up Stardew Valley, the board game. It took an hour. 
And my kids kind of were interested, but it was a little complicated. Yeah. You're the board game expert of the two of us. I don't play many board games. I don't play many board games either, my friend. So I was kind of hoping that you in the family ensemble would play more. Not, Not of the type that Nick is talking about. I've tried. And I remember I went to a uh, board game night of, um, it was like my wife's friend's husband he was having. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll come over. And in my head, board games are Pictionary and Monopoly. So I get there. No, those are social games. Yes, I know. That's the thing. So he had the most complicated sci-fi board game of all time, and I had no idea what was going on. His friends adapted to it very quickly. I was confused. I lost poorly so what you're saying is that uh board games should be simpler i guess is that what you're not at all no it's just i'm not the right person to ask i see nick's point though it's just that you know that all the time that goes into developing these board games they would need a whole other section of their business to create the app i was gonna say they have to bifurcate their budget right into into physical development and then app development right which can be cumbersome i very much dislike the model of a board game with an app or the requirement of some kind of app to keep track of, of stats and things like that. If it's not like a D and D experience, for example, right? Nick brings up a good point. People might think we're getting lazy and stuff like that. And although board games have become significantly more complicated as time has gone on. Correct. I mean, yeah, no, right. There's the immortal go, right? The Asian game. That's always been a little bit complicated. That's true, but it doesn't have like little figures. No, I mean I'm using an outlier here, right? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> using it like an actual great example of that like you know something like Monopoly. Yeah, that, I guess that is sort of complicated, and you end up with house rules and things like that. Uh, again, I'm I'm not the right person to ask about board games. I've never actually played Dungeons and Dragons either, which I I, I guess can you consider that a, a I guess that's a role playing game, but is it sort of like a board game? Like, I mean, they're called tabletop RPGs for a reason, right? Because yeah, be played on a table. Though there are things now that you can, you can, you know, if you're doing this uh, digitally, you can share. If you're the dungeon master, you can share the map, for example, right, and the different okay. tokens and markers and things like that. Uh, I uh, I agree with my big problem. I think is that board games are designed to be an in-person experience, right? You're supposed to be sociable. Yeah. It's supposed to be a, sh- a social shared experience with the people you're with, right? And I think a lot of these apps take away from that too, right? So I think that's that's a, a problematic way of sort of positioning yourself as a, a game publisher, right? That you require the necessity of this app, right? But I think it's also because they want to collect customer information, right? Let's, let's, let's be honest with this one. So there's kind of that uh, marketing angle to that too. Yeah. There's, there's always the devious background gathering information. I, I also think that these types of board games, it's, it's helpful to sort of organize a night around them, right? Where, you do this a few times a month because if they're really complicated, you don't want to be spending the entire time you play it just trying to learn the game. It becomes more fun if you do it more often because you've, everybody knows the rules. I have an idea, Angelo. We should do this for a future episode. We should let the listeners decide what we're going to play and then we'll mic ourselves up and play and see how that goes. Oh my, that would be really interesting. <laughs> well, we have been talking about hanging out in person again because it's been about six months. Um, yeah. you know, so let's just keep playing Jenga together or something, right? So if you want to suggest a board game for Angela and I to team up and play or to get other people with alongside us uh, in person to, to team up and play, uh, use the contact form, doubledensity.net. Click on the contact form right there, doubledensitypodcast.tvl.com. You uh, can still at me on the uh, bad website Twitter, double underscore density, if you uh, want to go ahead and uh, do that. I do think 
that having to use a telephone or a tablet or something is detrimental to the board game experience, but Agreed. that is just me. I would love to hear other people's thoughts about that. Also, if you want to make me super angry, try to get me to play Cards Against Humanity, the most awful, stupid, useless game in the world. I've played it. I've had a few laughs with it. Yeah, but how long did you play it for? I've played it two or three times. No, but I meant more like, were, oh, like, like 20 an, minutes? An hour, I think. Yeah, I can't do yeah. it. Yeah, I can't do it. Anyways, I'm frustrated. With that, let us head on over to the paranormal side of things where I'll be less frustrated. Great. Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Double Density. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So we have our third listener question of the week. This one's from Trish. Trish asks, techno question, what is a Discord chat room? So a Discord chat room obviously is a server created by people with like-minded interests. You can make it open or close to the public, right? I'm on a couple. I'm on Rob's from Your Strange Guys. I'm on the one for my local comic book store. And that's pretty much it. I don't know if you don't use Discord at all, right? You're not, you're not a gamer man? Well, no, I've tried it with Relay FM, the, um, the podcasting network. I'm, I'm a member. I, uh, I give them some money every month and because I listen to so many other podcasts. And part of being a member, you get part to be part of the Discord. But I, I've tried it a few times. Not really my thing. I, I have so many things I want to be doing. I'm not going to end up in a chat group with a lot of people. <laughs> uh, Trish continues to say, uh, would you two put up stolen uh, top secret documents there? No. No, not in, that's too wide open, right? We're going to talk about that more in a sec. So she says, to me, it is like bringing them to high school after finding them from your parents, <laughs> right? which I laughed at because I remember, and I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show, but I once brought a Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue in grade four to school to prove to others that I was cool. Guess what? Teacher took it. So, oh no. And then that teacher took it and threw it in the woods for other kids to find. Exactly. Yeah. She decided to throw it into the woods to let the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue trees grow up to sprout their own versions of the swimsuit issue. Trish concludes her email with Astonishing Legends did a two part podcast on the Toronto Spirit Creation. Go give it a listen. Angela, we talked about this last week. All about, uh, you know, uh, social engineering, trying to get people to believe that there's a spirit in the room, right? The, the Philip case? Yeah, the two-part episode uh, from Astonishing Legends. I'll have to give it a listen. I've been listening to less podcasts lately, so I'm, I need to listen to more. I don't know. Are you okay? I'm checking in here. I'm doing a wellness check. Yeah, no, I just, uh, every once in a while I get into a phase where it's like, oh, I'm not listening to enough music. I need to stop listening to podcasts because there's so many podcasts. So I, I kind of like ebb and flow with podcast listening i feel the same way about specific podcasts like i'll get on one for a while and for example right now i have one podcast in particular that i usually really love but i've given it a break they do two episodes a week so i'm like 14 weeks behind so that's 28 episodes yeah at at a certain point you have to declare podcast bankruptcy well i figured out with my standing desk and i plan to get one of those walking treadmills i'm probably on the rainy days gonna do that instead of uh, bike or not do anything, right? So I'm kind of hoping that I can blast through a couple of podcast episodes um, through that. But Angelo, coming back to the topic at hand, where would you store top secret governments, either fi- uh, government documents, either like physically or digitally? Don't we have in our podcast, Google Drive, don't we have a, a folder that's called top secret documents or something like that? Yes, we sure do. And I don't even remember what's in it because it is that non-consequential. Let me go check now. You can keep going though. Where would you, where would you hide? So physically... Probably in a place where nobody would really go to look, like maybe where they would think you leave your garbage and stuff, like 
behind the sink, like in somewhere safe, but like somewhere almost like too, too out in the open, but a place where people normally wouldn't want to look. In terms of digitally, you would label a folder really boring on your computer, like something like, I don't know, medical docs or something <laughs> like that, right? Like, or, you know, things, something that nobody really would think of looking at, and you'd bury it in like a, a utilities folder that doesn't normally have documents, right? You wouldn't put it in your documents folder. So, for example, on a Mac, you would go into maybe uh, your, your user drive and go into like the library and stick it in something there. And then hide that, because that's a hidden folder usually. <laughs> that's a really good move. Okay, so I've given this some thought. And it's, it's kind of strange that I read this, because I recently uh, finished up reading the manga series Death Note, which is all about a um, a notebook, which you can write people's names and they die in it, right? And uh, part of the whole situation there is trying to figure out where to hide a notebook where others can't find it. So it's, just, it's kind of a weird moment of synchronicity there. Um, physically, I agree with you somewhere. Not, you know, not very conspicuous. I have a lot of books, so I figured I'd probably tuck it into a larger book somewhere or something. But Angela, it sounds like you're kind of a simpleton digitally, right? Because it's still on your computer. You don't want that. You want that in the cloud, my friend. So this is what you would do. You would first zip the files, right? Okay. Get on a VPN. Go to one of these anonymous, you know, file sharing services. Upload the zip there and something innocuous and just... Call it a day or grab the URL, like the, the unique identifier of the URL, email it yourself. That way you know where it is. I can't believe you called me a tech simpleton. Well, you're saying hide it on your computer, not even compress it, to, you know, like. Yeah, well, I would not want that stuff in the cloud. But it's out in the open. It would be perfect to hide, my friend. Here's an idea. Put it on a USB drive and stick it with your other stuff behind the sink next to the garbage. How many USB keys do you have? I don't know. Not many. And I was never big on USB keys. I only use them because we don't actually have a printer and I keep having to go to Staples uh, to print stuff. It's very... Uh, I thought you stupid. had a printer. It used to be yeah, right but like, to. I, like ink dries out because we use it once a year. This is why you have to buy a laser printer. Uh, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not spending that much money either. Uh, They're really not that expensive to be quite No, I know, but it's and, more space. And they have a cheaper operating cost than laser... Actually, so yeah, this laser printer I bought is a little bit bigger than the DeskJet printer we had it's taller it's actually less wide than is it more expensive than a dollar much more expensive than a dollar all right then i'm going to continue going to staples my friend because literally i'm paying a dollar a year to print stuff out of staples okay well then you're fine yeah exactly (laughs) you you don't live with a teacher that has to no that's the thing is i don't have a family right like my wife and i barely print anything everything is done digitally more or less right so yeah we print um, a lot yeah, I assume with your kids and schoolwork and your wife, everything gets done there. So I bought a box of 1,500 pieces of paper, I guess, last summer at Costco, and I had to buy another box at the end of the year. How much did you pay for the box, you remember? Not a lot, like $12 or something. Really? $12 for, for like a box? Yeah, it was really not expensive. Maybe I'm wrong, but it no, was I not. I think it's a little more expensive than that, yeah. Maybe, but it was like not a lot. I'd have to look that up. As someone who has to cart, so my dad's a CPA, works for himself, and once a year he asks me to go to Staples, and so they actually have boxes of like their brand paper that you cannot. I believe order it's online. called reams of paper. Whatever. I never. I paid learned this from the office. the office. Yeah, I never paid yeah. attention. Um, but it's a box, right? So it's a box, and it is sixty. It has now got up to sixty bucks from like forty from like two years ago. Um, in order to no, get no, his, definitely not that much. Okay, so you're just buying like a couple then. I think it's like 3,000 sheets of paper in there. 3,000 okay. or something like that. I can yeah, go no, look are, at these it. These are quite like, heavy boxes, so I have to buy six or seven for him uh, for okay. tax season. Okay. 
So it's yeah, multiple. Anyways, fun. all that to say, maybe I'd go to my dad's place and just hide the documents around there, right? He's got documents yeah. all over the place anyways. Let people flip yeah. through everything. Let all the, you know, the government agents, the men in black come and search my parents' place and go through the thousands and thousands of pieces of paper that they have hanging around to see if there's anything important. Maybe hide it in a turkey in the freezer. I mean, yeah, that's definitely worthwhile, right? That is something that you can look into doing if you are adventurous and uh, never plan to make a turkey. Yeah. That would be the worst thing in the world. If you hid, if you hid something in your parents' place, then they, they made the food <laughs> and you, it, it's off and they were, they were sick because of it. You had to explain what went on. Yeah. So Nick's that idea. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of curious though if other listeners have ideas about where to hide stuff, they can always let us know. Uh, I feel like we're very like contact us mode this week, right? So uh, we very much appreciate all three people who reached out to us via, you know, through Twitter, email, the contact form, like the trifecta really of like social media the form and email in order to get to us. It really was. Yeah. This week. That, that was great. So Angelo, I want to talk about something uh, timely, but not so recently. Uh, we just talked about this at the top of the show. Let's close the loop. I talked about the SpaceX flight that happened a couple of days ago. And I found a thread on above because once in a while I like to go there and just punish myself um, because there's a lot of brain worms over there, right? There's a lot of, um, mm, mm, racist ramblings would be a good way of saying that, but there are certain sub subjects or forums or things like that where it's not talked about um, as much. And I found a thread that kind of reminded me of like bringing me back to the old internet of like 15, 20 years ago. And the title of this is did orbs interfere or monitor the SpaceX starship destruction or is AI playing tricks? So the original poster pulled down images from Reuters and then started using arrows to show orbs or orb like, um, you know, uh, sediment from the rockets. Yeah, I wonder if something was wrong with this computer, maybe, because the actual picture from Reuters doesn't have those orbs. Angel, it's funny you say that, right? Because I was also thinking about that a little bit. I was wondering if maybe these were, um, you know, doctored, doctored by the original poster. I'm not claiming with certainty. I'm just saying. Look, it's above top secret. No one's going to post anything fake on there. Never. Because ever. it's already hidden. It's, it's above top secret. I don't even yeah. know how you got into this website, Brian. I, I had to say you all one letter, one letter at a time. Okay. Uh, it took a while. It took a, a long while, right? Um, but yeah, I kind of was wondering about that because I was very confused for a moment because uh, I was doing the AB and I was like, I don't see them in the official images. I watched a video or two, did not see it there either. And uh, listen, like I don't know how to feel about this whole SpaceX thing, right? Um, whether it was a successful launch or not, I'm not quite sure. The only thing I do know, though, is that they showed the the control center when the launch happened and the rocket blew up and Elon Musk had his arms crossed. So I don't think it went well for him. No. Uh, some of the comments are great because somebody mentioned that it looked pretty Orbish. So it replied with the name Roy Orbishan, and it made me laugh. And then one of my other favorite uh, bits there is the... Original poster also posted, meanwhile, Paradoia sits in a couple of posts down from his own, and yeah. uh, or their own, I should say. I don't know their gender. And uh, the explosion looks like a dog receiving treats, and now I can't unsee it. No, exactly. And you see the, uh, the explosive reddish part in the middle is like it's heart. Now, of course, this wouldn't be above top secret if someone didn't decide to go a little bit deeper than usual. So someone replied... Chinese spy orbs. So someone said there may be some truth to that, Angelo. And so they're talking about, and I'm going to read, I'm going to read this like, uh, you know, uh, as posted. As we all know, the Chinese are notorious for stealing intellectual property. Who's to say they didn't steal the orb patent of Salvatore Pace? And to help further to the point that they're actually working machines. So Angelo, Chinese spy orbs spying on SpaceX. Why would they do that? Go. 
they want to also go to outer space and they want to own Twitter. I like the two for there. I do like the inference that Elon Musk's reign as the owner of Twitter will come to a tumbling fault when the Chinese spy drones get to him finally. Will this put us on a watch list, do you think? No, I doubt it. Uh, the, the, we're we're going to put this podcast through a VPN, zipped online. No one's going to find it. <laughs> yeah, you have to access this um, using several um, unique keys hidden throughout several uh, social media sites that I'm going to be buried. This is like a, an ARG from like, a, you know, all the rage 10 years ago. Exactly. Somebody posted a picture that we looked at a few uh, a few months ago. The whole uh, weird orb thing in the street. Yes, and still looks like just something went wrong with that camera. That is correct. It's or it could have been a plane or an any, art digital or artifact, satellite or something. Yeah, exactly. A reflection um, from a car. So I, so yeah, either it is debris, which I think is uh, the most uh, likely scenario here, or. You and I are inferring that perhaps, you know, OP lied. OP decided to to gin some photos up. What I like about this post, it kind of shows us how far down the rabbit hole some people that frequent these sorts of online forums go to kind of make something out of something else. So this was a tragic thing for the whole space program, and... Not a good thing, uh, despite what you think about Elon Musk. Not not good for overall morale with the space program. The Elon Musk space program, you mean? It looks like it took a screenshot and put it in notes or like clicked on it, and it went into markup mode and kind of put two <laughs> dots on it by accident and then posted it and then noticed the two dots. All right, so this brings me to another part of why I love this thread so much, Angelo. The number of arrows and pictures, and I friggin' love this. And this is something that I think the modern internet is missing, is when uh, conspiracy theorists decide to gather. So what do we call when we gather? Like, is it a flock of conspiracy theorists? Like, what are we calling this group of people? The the crazy board. And so as you scroll further down, the picture gets more and more full of arrows and circles. That's what I'm saying. There are are also multiple pictures, not just the one that OP used, but there are multiple pictures all over the place with tons of arrows over and let me tell you something uh, a part of me is like super excited by that because i miss markup i miss people arguing endlessly uh in pages and pages of threads about this kind of stuff um without you know devolving into some kind of rhetoric or another that uh, could be uh, questionable well so bear with me on this okay hold on i gotta get into my bearing um stance okay go ahead i recently finished better call saul season six and as i was looking at just theories and stuff and explanations of certain things that happened Somebody put in a picture of a meme from the Breaking Bad days of people overanalyzing every single scene from that show. And it was an image of Walter White and Skylar White at a restaurant. And just different things circled, like the brick wall showing their relationship falling apart and all these things. And it just reminded me of this because people just look very deeply into things to find meaning and maybe there is but maybe there isn't and you're kind of putting your own thoughts into it as someone who is a succession boy i don't visit the succession subreddit a lot because of that sort of exact thing where the over analysis of everything um gets taken to an even deeper level but the thing is that the showrunners also know that and have been doing that from the start too so there is a bit of validity in de- in doing a deep dive too so do you think so 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 Vince Gilligan when he did when he did Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, he uses a lot of 
significant imagery and does callbacks to things and all that. But when they overanalyze things, do you think he put that much thought into like even the brick wall that was behind them and the positioning no, of certain no, like things? No, right? It's all people. I kind mean, there's of a certain degree into it after the yeah. fact. I mean, okay, so like. You and I were going to talk about this, I guess. So art history, um, communications background, we're going to get into this. I mean, like, listen, like every single camera shot, camera angle is political in nature, right? Like these are decisions that you make that you're trying to convey a message or a meaning, right? Um, but to that end, I do feel like someone like Vince Gilligan understands uh, his fan base and yeah. wants to screw with them by perhaps including certain shots or things like that, that people can go nuts on but have no basis in reality or factual analysis of how to tie it all together. When people analyze, let's say, like Nirvana music and look at, oh, he did this there and did that there, I don't think Kurt Cobain was thinking about it that much, and he's just doing stuff that sounded good to him. Or am I wrong? He was not a musical genius in terms of theoretical creation of music. No, the man knew a Yeah, exactly. But it wasn't stuff he overthought. It was just innate in him. He was, in that sense, somebody who was a a musical genius in that sense, but not in terms of theory and saying, I'm going to put... Oh, I thought you were going to say, not like dream theater, right? Where everything means something. And like, there's a lot of like factual basis in a lot of dream theater songs, um, you know, tempos, sounds, things like that, that like... That's different. Like tie into each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is very different. Whereas Nirvana music was just you know, changing from the punk rock they did in the late eighties to becoming what became grunge. My question to you, and actually this is funny that you bring Nirvana up because I was talking to your friend this week about, you know, what kind of person would Kurt Cobain be in the year of our Lord 2023, Angelo? Thinking of Nirvana, it's, it's so weird because they really only were around in popular culture, only four or five years Yeah, in terms of when they, when Kurt Cobain was alive, but in terms of being a band, they think what they started in 86 or 87 and Dave Grohl didn't even join them until a little bit later than that, because I don't think he played on Bleach. No, he didn't. They, I think they went through five or six drummers. Yeah. Really, they were only active as a band for a few years, but in those few years, came out with two incredible albums. Sort of like when you think back to the Beatles, right? The Beatles have all this music, all these albums, the, one of the most famous pop bands of all time. They were really only active in music for ten years. six years? Ten no, years. not even. Ten years. Were, okay, in terms so they were a band together for 10 years. Exactly. But in terms of popularity and people knowing where they were, 63 to 69, 70 maybe if you stretch 70 it. 70 for let it be, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and hear me out. Like The first couple were not necessarily counting, right? Like Let's look at Rubber Soul onwards. That's only five years. Yeah, exactly. And, and all this to say... And this is coming from someone who does not love the Beatles like others do. Yeah, I, I do love the Beatles, right? And... And that's something else, right? Can you overanalyze the Beatles? Of course yeah, you can. Because they weren't, the Beatles, go watch the Get Back videos and you will see people that were musical geniuses in their own right, but didn't necessarily know music theory and weren't, and they were just creating stuff that sounded good. Now they had George Martin there that really knew his stuff, but they were creating things that they felt sounded good. And this is going back to the overanalyzing of things, Right. Maybe that's something we should do. We should take a record and just overanalyze the hell out of it. And then play it backwards. And, and forwards. Figure and out if Paul, half if Paul time, right? Half time. Yeah. Yeah. So these, so you end up doing things that were not intentioned from the listener or the viewer or whatever. 
And that, this is what's happening in this above top secret thing where, I, or in this case, it may actually be doctored, but who knows? I don't know. Let's, uh, you know, uh, we're going to include the thread in the show notes. You can go ahead and do that. I'm also going to throw in uh, Nick's picks. I guess we'll call it Nick's picks. Nick's picks is Spotify playlist over there with his uh, couple of Iron Maiden songs as well as his Aesop Rock, etc. In the show notes too. So you can go ahead and go give that a listen and I'll throw in my Iron Maiden one in the two. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'd love for some input. If people want to go look at this picture, look at all these arrows, include some extra arrows. Let us know if we're missing anything. You know, uh, maybe there's a chemtrail. Maybe we're missing a chemtrail somewhere that I'm not quite sure I'm missing on. There's a few chemtrails there. Anyway, next week's guest is going to be Oficius. Oficius? Oh, the Oph- original post. Yes. Yes. He will be our guest next week. Yes. So and he'll overanalyze everything we do on this podcast. Ophi- I think I just saw an orb behind you, bro. Ophiuchus, because it's a U C H U S one. Ophiuchus okay. one. Okay. Um, and okay. we're going to head into that. Uh, Angela, happy sixth anniversary to you, my friend. I'm surprised and sad we don't have cake here, but we will give each other a hearty thumbs up and a handshake when we see each other next. That is the plan, I hope. Yeah, we're going to play some music. I think play some maybe board we'll games. write a. Yeah, we'll write. We'll write a song and play some board games and mic all that up, and then people will listen to our music while they watch us play board games. So what you're saying is we're going to create kind of like a, a whole uh, experience for this, right? Yeah. This is all us moving into uh, Double Density becoming a progressive rock band. A prog metal band, as it were, yeah. We've talked about this for now. I think this is the second or third episode. It's going to happen sooner or later, I think, right? So Definitely, definitely. Angela, I think this is it for episode uh, 224 of the Double Density Podcast. Once again, one last time, tell people where they can find us. You can easily go to doubledensity.net, and if you want to talk to us, you can do that through the wonderful form we have on doubledensity.net. And we'll uh, read your question on the air. Is this really on the air? I mean, it's a tape. I mean, maybe you secretly play these around the house. I don't know. Yeah. You set up the tiniest little broadcasting antenna in your basement? As a hipster now, I've decided to become a hipster, and I'm recording this to tape. Oh, perfect. Enjoy enjoy dubbing all these tapes one-to-one. You can, also, you can also use email, right? DoubleDensityPodcast at gmail.com in order to get our attention. And as always, hey, listen. Uh, double right to uh, brian on twitter exactly double underscore density over on twitter um you can still find my private twitter uh my personal not private i should say my personal twitter over at uh, it's all private brian brian <laughs> just privately tweets uh, yeah to, to myself Musk. over and over yeah uh yeah. brian hasty brian with an i and then double density podcast over on instagram where i'm i'm trying to become i'm posting like more regularly now which is uh, enjoyable how is instagram these days still it's a lot fine. of stupid ads it's fine I bet that if on if I went and reactivated my Instagram account, it'd be sending me pictures of guitar pedals because it's my phone has been recording me talking to you about guitar pedals. Well, I'm hoping that you come up with something um, interesting and new for me to to enjoy. So, what do you think, Brian? Should I buy guitar pedals? Buy at least one, if not three. Do you have a wah pedal? Do you have access to a wah pedal? I no, I don't. I had, like an intensity I had pedal. A gu- no, I had a guitar effects pedal, and I sold it because. It was one of the is the early days of digital. digital. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just okay. See, so, but you don't have an intensity belt. You just have like a, a I have a nothing. Buff, I, I seriously right. don't have any guitar pedals unless you count my foot switches for my amps, but those are foot switches. All right, Steve or Yvonne, I'm gonna end things here. I'm gonna <laughs> just stop recording or else you'll just go on about guitar pedals for the next. All right. Maybe that's the secret. Maybe like this is like the after episode portion where you talk about guitar pedals to yourself for like five minutes. Perfect. Just read them off is what I'm asking for. That's what I'll do. Angel, I will see you uh, next week, my friend, when you and I will get deeper and deeper into the abyss known as... Guitar pedals? Alternative energy sources. Oh, too bad. Bye. Bye. Bye.